Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. It's an absolute joy today to have one of the most patient men in sales, Larry Levine, on as my guest. Larry, can you do a quick introduction to your journey to how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. First of all, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast, Marcus. It's, uh, we're going to have a great time, I can already tell. But um, <laughs> my journey started, gosh, if you would have asked me this question four or five years ago, I would have given you a completely different answer. But I grew up in probably the most laggard, dysfunctional. I beat it up all the time. I make fun of it. I grew up in the copier channel my whole life in Los Angeles, <laughs> California. So I spent almost three decades in that space. And I held just about every sales position imaginable. Um, I even was partners in a office technology dealership. But what my defining moment was, and kind of, I'll call it an aha, because I think we all have aha moments, is when, this goes back probably the early to mid-2000s, and everyone who knows me who's in my close inner circle knows that I always like to stay one step ahead of the curve. And I sought out a business coach because at that time, I saw that people were hiding behind voicemail, people were hiding behind email, even just like they're doing today. And I said, you know, how can I stay one step ahead of the curve? And my business coach that I hired, Marcus, did the single best thing that ever happened to me in my career is he taught me how to build a brand and mirror exactly what I was doing face-to-face online to help me get noticed in my marketplace. And this is before I even had a freaking clue what social was. I had no idea what LinkedIn, Twitter, none of these social things. I had no idea other than he helped me build a website that I could drive people to, to find out more about me and how I can help them. So why am I sharing this with you and your audience is, is simple is it was that moment, mid early two thousands that kind of catapulted my career to where it is today, because I learned how to play in the online sandbox. I knew how to, to share my story. I knew how to engage. I knew how to excite and I knew how to educate people into a conversation. And all I really did was smash the physical and the digital world together. And I got bumps and bruises along the way, but it got me to where I was at because now I found it at that time, it was easier for me to connect to people. They can find out something about me. It didn't matter when it was. It was not just eight to five or nine to five. It was, they could find out about me when they want at their leisure and so forth. And that's when I started to understand the power of becoming an influencer in my marketplace. And I had no clue about any of this. Nobody taught me this. I got the crap kicked out of me doing this. I got bloody knees. I got scabs all over the place, but it made me who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So I exited corporate sales 2015. So about three and a half, four years ago. And the reason why I did it is I saw a huge hole in the sales world as far as what do we do? How do we do it? Why do we do it? I saw broken sales teams. I was on broken sales teams. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go right back to the channel that I grew up in, which was the office technology space. And I said, you know what? I'm going to share with them what I did and inspire and coach them in things that they're not being coached on. I saw a lot of success in the beginning, but then this is what I saw. And hopefully you might agree with me on this one. As I said, you know what? Here I am teaching broken sales teams how to integrate social into their sales process. 
and they can't freaking articulate a value proposition to save their life. They have a yep. hard time driving a business conversation. Their business acumen skills are, are extremely low. They're struggling just with the core foundational stuff of what they're supposed to do. But yet we're making a big deal out of social. And I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Social's allowed me to fast track what I'm doing. But it's because it was ingrained in me and I held myself to a high degree of standards that I need to be able to do all these other things really well in order to see the fruits of social. I couldn't agree more. Um, one thing that really pisses me off is the fact that most people in sales don't do the basics well consistently over time and mean it. They find one thing and they think that's going to make them successful. There's no such thing as a magic bullet in sales. What do you think? No, there's not. I got to share a funny story if I can. It just remembers just because my wife and I just recently had dinner with my parents. We took them out to yeah. dinner. And I write about it in the first chapter of my book, Selling from the Heart. But my dad, I love my dad to death. My dad's retired rocket scientist for the United States Air Force. He was in civil service. He was never a military person, but he worked inside the U.S. Air Force. And his big thing was liquid jet propulsion. So my dad was a propeller nerd. My dad's yeah. extremely brilliant guy. And I had to grow up with a dad who had a PhD in aeronautical physics from two Ivy League schools by the time he was 20. But that was so that's becoming a salesman must have been a real boost for their egos. Well, heck, we're complete polar opposites. So when I told my dad I was getting into sales, is like, all right, right. What the heck are you doing? Because I was never book smart like my dad. I was street savvy and we're polar opposites. Why am I sharing this is when I got into sales, I started to realize that what my dad drilled in me as far as you got to be able to do the basics because I had school just drilled in me and I was just, it just backfired, you know, the older I got. <laughs> but I took it to sales and I said, you know, I told myself, because my dad was always in my brain, you know, saying, you got to do the basics. You have to do the basics. You have to do your homework every day. You got to do these certain things. And that's how I held myself accountable, Marcus, is I knew all these things. And I started my sales career in 1987. Same as me. Okay. Yeah. So back then it was just, it was cold call and phone and that was it. And we role played and so forth, but I was held to a degree of standards. And then I said, you know what? I had to make 50 cold calls a day. Back yeah. in 1987, I had to come back to the office. I had to show, and I'm not saying this to say, hey, you know what? We all walk through 10 feet of snow to get to school, right? And all that. But I'm saying is what we did back in the 80s is still alive and well today with, to the detriment of many, but it ingrained in me something that I think is sorely lacking. And you touched on it is if you can't do the basics right in sales, how can you do all these other things? And we've shied away from the basic stuff in sales to chase shiny objects. All salespeople and managers, what they want to do is they want to walk into a dark room, flip on a light switch and have instant success. And it just freaking yeah. doesn't work. There's no magic dust. And this is the thing that I see all the time. You know, the number of people who come to me and say, our salespeople need a bit of a refresher. But when they tell me that they've got veterans of 10, 20 years uh, experience, you dig deeper and what they've got is one year's experience 20 times over because they've never learned anything since they first started. And they do what was done to them, which is basically you spend your life making excuses. And the thing that I see in most sales organizations is the way they're run is that you have this interview, hope, and hire 
right at the beginning. Then you know some modicum of product training. Then you have the weekly ass kicking where people read from their fiction, also known as a forecast. And the salespeople lie. Then the lies then get taken up the management chain, and they're trying to manage the numbers. Then the salespeople say, "I'm too busy to prospect." This so getting some leads. They say this proposal needs to be written. Uh, it's been on my desk for the last 24 weeks, but it's due tomorrow. Can you write it for me? So they delegate up. The managers get run ragged. Then there's this excuse factory, which the one thing that goes uphill in sales are excuses. Then the salespeople go into hiding. They dig a foxhole and the manager has to hope and pray. So is it any wonder that the most precarious position in any management role in any business is that of sales management. The turnover in sales management is shocking. I think they last 18 months. I could vouch for that one because I could remember when I was partners in my office technology dealership, we had just expanded into another office in Los Angeles. And until we found a manager, Marcus, we had to take turns managing the office. And it was the worst year I ever had because... What blew my mind is I couldn't understand why grown adults acted like children in sales. And I go, you know, come on, you're, you know, however old you are, I just got tired of being a babysitter and I got tired. But that was me personally. I go, you know what? I suck as a manager because I just can't, I just can't deal with it. But now hindsight, looking back, I mean, now I'm coaching sales reps and sales teams, but it's a whole lot different. I think I'm a lot more mature than I was 20 years ago. Nevertheless, I mean, just like we don't coach and train salespeople, who's responsible for coaching and training managers, Marcus? Absolutely. You've touched on a really raw nerve here. I'll come back to that in a second. And one of the basic rules that I teach my clients is all adults are children trapped in adult bodies. If you start with that assumption, then essentially know what you're in for. And one of the problems is that we're emotional creatures. We haven't evolved in the last two, 300,000 years, particularly. And our primate brain is there. And we have this them versus us mentality. So you're either in the tribe or you're out. If you're in the tribe, then we make excuses for why you don't perform. And we see this with managers all the time, defending basically shitty performance, non-performance, and they tolerate that stuff. And then that gets passed up the food chain to managers and then to directors and then to chiefs. And the problem starts in recruitment. If you hired great people in the first place, you wouldn't have management problems. If you hire a bad person, you're buying a management problem down the road. My question to you is this. Why is it that sales managers are so utterly atrocious at selecting and hiring great salespeople? Apart from the fact there aren't that many out there. Well, I mean, this peel that sucker back even more is, is how many sales managers, right? If they are tasked to hire salespeople, right? Because they may have an HR department to do that, or they may have a recruiter that does that who sources some of them. But how many sales managers even are coached and trained by whoever they report to, Marcus? Yep. On what to look for and all that. And, and I'll share something with you because... I remember I asked a VP of sales, I'm coaching his team now, I have been for a little bit. But I remember when I very first had this conversation with this person, because he was telling me it's hard to find good people. And I shared with this gentleman, I said, hey, listen, if you found 
that top sales rep, right? That person who wowed you goes, you know what? I think I found the one. And if you brought that person into your environment right now, would that person succeed or would that person fail? And what do you think the response was? Well, he probably made some glib comment about, well, if he's any good, he'll succeed. Actually, dude, he was honest. And he said he would probably fail. And I said, guess what? Don't hire anybody until you fix your internal problems. That's the issue. You've touched a really raw nerve here, and I'm delighted that you have. Jonathan Farrington, who runs Top Sales World as the editor, he was being interviewed a couple of months ago, and he said that only 6% of managers are qualified to be sales managers. Now, honestly, I think that's probably a high estimate on the basis of what I've seen because they get no training. The previous Egypt gets kicked out. Then the top performing salesperson gets promoted into the role. They have no idea how to manage. So they do what was done to them, which is basically they sit at the front of a sales meeting. Then they beat the crap out of the weak ones. They give a pat on the back to the ones who are on or above target, which are few and far between. Then they shout a lot. And then they go and flip on their spreadsheet and they try and manage the numbers, which is the stupidest thing you've ever heard. You can't manage numbers. The only thing you can do is manage behavior. So why is it that despite the fact this is something that's repeated to the detriment of probably trillions of dollars a year, why is it that organizations and leaders haven't learned anything over the last 30, 40 years? I would say this, it comes down to patience. I don't think anyone's patient anymore to take the time to really, and I'll, and I'll use this word blow up, right? How many, yeah. how many people want to blow up their sales team? So I want to use an example. I'm going to use a couple if that's okay. I'm a big sports junkie. I just absolutely live. I always say, I always tell people I'm a sports geek and a sales nerd because I love sports and I love sales. So let's just look at horrible sports team, right? I mean, they got enormous amounts of money behind them and, and the structure is probably 10 times greater than that of many sales organizations. But I think as I play this out, you'll understand is when sports teams, they'll go through lulls, right? They'll go through the really great years and then they'll go through really shitty years. But it's in those rebuilding years, they restructure, right? They restructure from the top down. Maybe they bring in new managers, they bring in new coaches, different ideas, different playbooks. You see where I'm going with this? And why can't we do that in sales? And that's my biggest question to sales leaders, right? And executives is if it's not working, then you guys have to be, you got to own up to the fact that something's not working and be willing to take a step backwards, restructure, reorganize, re-energize, re-educate your sales staff and management on what good looks like or otherwise you know, pardon the expression, you're just pissing in a fan all the time and nothing's going to (laughs) happen. You got electrocuted. But it's sad because I'm an avid baseball fan. I mean, I just live, eat, breathe and sleep baseball. And what's really interesting is, and this can be said across any major sports, even, you know, soccer by you, is if the team has a bad year, right? And the players aren't getting along with the coach and so forth, Marcus. What usually happens to the coach? Gets fired. He gets fired. But here's what's interesting. The complete freaking polar opposite happens in sales. 
is they discredit the salespeople. They go, you're not hitting your numbers. I'm going to put you on, you know, warning. You don't do this by 30 days. You know, you're getting on double warning. You don't do this in another 30 days. I'm going to get rid of you. And look at how many times they get rid of salespeople that quite frankly, maybe they didn't need to get rid of them. Maybe they needed to coach them. Maybe they needed to nurture them. Maybe it's the manager that really needs to get freaking fired. Well, absolutely. And my big beef with most managers, when you ask them how much of their time they spend coaching, the answer that comes back is zero far too often. And when they talk about coaching, what they really mean that they're doing is they're doing on-the-job telling, which is the polar opposite of coaching. One of the challenges as a manager is to get the best out of your people. You don't do that by spoon-feeding them and creating learned helplessness. You don't do that by attacking their identity and who they are and making them feel bad about being a human being, about attacking their self-concept so that they can't sell. Because too often, salespeople come back and the first question that a sales manager asks is, how did it go? What they really need to be doing is taking people through a structured approach to a debriefing so that the salesperson can learn. They need to be doing pre-call planning. They need to be doing rehearsal. And one of my big bugbears is a number of organizations that just let their salespeople wing it. And what the fuck is going on there? If you're going to let people wing after having spent thousands of dollars to acquire an opportunity, which they will do because they'll spend two, three days to get one real prospect. They might get appointments every day if they're forced with your foot on their neck to make calls but the quality of their prospecting is poor. But they don't rehearse. They don't plan. So they go in, they wing it. I was talking to someone today, and they were meeting the global sales director for a major hardware manufacturer. And the sales guy turned up and basically had a cup of coffee and just chatted. Now, two of them flew into Europe. There's 500 pounds per flight. There was accommodation. Then they're on a £5,000 per day target because of their annual quota. You break it down daily. And the guy basically shat on a massive opportunity because he didn't do any prep whatsoever. So basically, they had a brief conversation. They would have left. And that guy would have said, what the hell was that about? Why did I waste my time? And they've ruined that relationship for years. Here's the thing. And um, I think neither one of us, Marcus... I'm not here to poke holes at salespeople. I'm not here to throw the middle finger at them and say, hey, you know what? All salespeople are jacked up, right? And all managers are jacked up because that's that's not the, you know, I don't think that's the 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 real issue. The real issue, there's some really great salespeople and there's some really great managers out there and leaders. Yeah. But the but the issue is it goes back to, and I'm a literation freak. It goes back to this is can you imagine how much sales teams could improve? If collectively there was an alignment, there was accountability, there was discipline around practice, planning, and preparation, just like any sports athlete out there across any major you know, sport is held accountable to practice, plan, and prepare, regardless if they like it or don't like it, they're held accountable to do that or else they don't play. But somehow or another, we allow this to happen in the sales world is the issues, you know, it goes back to when we first started talking. It goes back to the basics. If you fail to plan every day, if you fail to practice every day, and if you fail to prepare every day, 
then guys, you're going to eat a shit sandwich whether you like it or not. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But what I don't understand still, I mean, I see it all the time and I'm not surprised by it. What I am really deeply disappointed by is the fact that routinely you see organizations refusing to invest in their managers. They invest a fortune in sales enablement tools, which frankly, you may as well just buy lottery tickets instead because they're not doing anything productive with those tools. Having a CRM is great if you're using it properly. But if all you're doing is you're saying, call back next week, interested, and other such drivel, what on earth are you playing at? That just strikes me as utter lunacy. It's the very definition of insanity. You then see leaders tolerating this consistently, repeatedly, and they keep blaming the salespeople. And more often than not, it's not the salesperson's fault. Their challenge actually is ignorance. I always say that you have five big competitors, fear, apathy, ignorance, denial, and ego. With salespeople, more often than not, it's ignorance. And that's forgivable. They just don't know. Yes. So if you help them, then they'll get it. Now, if they're willing and capable, then you can develop some fantastic people. Now, I've taken people who are at 13% of target, and in under a year, they're achieving well over 200%, okay? Because they had a reason. They had a purpose to do it. And all they needed was that guidance. Now, apathy, you can't do anything about. If they can't be asked, get rid of them. Fear, that's a paralyzing. You need to get to the root cause of that. And more often than not, that's the noise in their head. It's their scripting. It's their belief systems. And that can be tricky to fix. But if you do the behavior consistently well over time, then miraculously, your attitudes and beliefs catch up. Denial, often you find that where people's egos are hooked and they're attached to doing things their old way. And you see this where people say that they're dealing with veterans and I don't want to rock the boat, all this kind of stuff. And they're not dealing with a real problem. They're trying to put it off. And ego is the biggest obstacle of all. And ego is the enemy, I think, in sales, in management, in life. And too often, individuals allow their attachment to being seen in a particular way or not failing because they consider failure a personality defect instead of an opportunity to learn. And they punish their people for failing or they rescue them and they help without boundaries or permission. And as a result, they disempower them. Have you seen this? You just touched on something that's near and dear to me. I got to peel this thing back because one of the things that I'm seeing lately, I'm writing about it, I'm living through it with tenured salespeople, is the misalignment, Marcus, between tenured salespeople. When I say tenured, I'm talking about like the top one, two, three, and four on a sales team. Those are the ones that their vice president of sales or their sales manager tends to leave alone. They're going to say, you know, something like this. And, I, and I'm, I'm keeping it simple for conversation's sake, Marcus. But somebody yeah. will say, you know, Marcus will go, hey, Larry, you know, mentally, Marcus might say, hey, Larry, you know, I know you're my top dude, right? You're good with the numbers and all that. Larry's good with his numbers. I'm just going to let Larry slide. And you kind of manage by exception a little bit. And then what happens after a while is there's a disconnect that forms and I'm seeing it right now because I'm talking to high-performing sales reps and I'm coaching high-performing sales reps that are stuck in a rut that they can't turn to their manager because their manager just doesn't understand them anymore. And they go, you know what? 
I'm scared. I'm scared of losing whatever, right? I'm scared of losing an account. I don't know what to do anymore. I've been doing the same thing year over year, right? Decade over decade for a while. It's gotten to be where I'm at, but I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. And that's what I'm concerned with is the misalignment between managers and top performing sales reps because managers take them for granted, right? There's ego, fear, whatever. Hey, I don't want to push this person because if I push this person, I might piss them off. When in reality, the disconnect happened years ago because you stopped communicating with them and saying, hey, you know what? What can I do to help, right? I'm here to help you get to that next level. Let's sit down and discuss where you'd like to be. You see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. I think you're spot on the money. The reality is that you should definitely be coaching and developing your veterans and your top performers. Because frankly, a 30% increase from them is better than 30% increase from your bottom performers. But what you see is lots of managers working with the weak who are never going to make it because what they want is a warm body in a seat. And they're trying to play catch up all the time. The reality is lots of veterans have got stagnant. My favorite definition of a rut is a coffin with both ends kicked out. You see that a lot. And you see it with companies as well. I'm not going to name names, but there are lots of big technology companies out there that are still trading off what made them successful in the past. And their customers resent them for it. Their compensation plans drive the wrong kind of behavior from their salespeople. And so they're losing business and they're having to go into the mid-market because, frankly, they've saturated the top end. But what will happen is they'll get Ubered in their core business And I suspect the companies that are at the top of the NASDAQ and the FTSE currently, in the next 10 years, most of those will disappear because of their business model. They can't let go of what made them successful in the past. And when you're dealing with veterans, they actually want to be helped. They want to get better. They want to stay number one on the leaderboard. But if you're not helping them and your CEO is telling you, well, we don't want you to touch those two guys because if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, they are broken. But they have traded on and built up a portfolio of clients. But as those clients start to leave or get predated by someone younger, brighter, smarter, they don't know what to do. So they revert back to what they learned first. And you've hit the nail right on the head there, that you have to be coaching those people. And in fact, they're the best people to coach. They're the best people to train. They're the best people to spend time with out on the road. And have them mentor younger people. Now, not everyone is cut out to be a manager because they're a massively different skill set. And the idea that there's an empty chair that needs to be filled by a manager, by a salesperson who's being promoted into management without training is utter lunacy. And here's something I want, you know, the listeners to think about, and especially those sales leaders, managers, and, and so forth to think about. I'm really concerned on this whole tenured sales reps and so forth. And here's what I want people to to think about is those experienced top salespeople out there inside your sales teams, they're usually handling your top accounts. Now, would you agree, Marcus? Yeah, absolutely. So you got more to lose than you think you do. So if you're not coaching and growing your top salespeople who are in turn, hopefully growing your top accounts, not only do you run the risk of losing one of your top salespeople, folks, you run the risk of losing one of your largest clients because you're not coaching that salesperson on a, how to help them do better business. And that's shame on you. 
Well, not only are you losing a client, but you're losing the lifetime value of that client. Yes. And those large accounts are marketplaces. They're not just a transaction. They're a marketplace because you can sell to parent companies, sister companies, JVs, alumni, any of their subsidiaries, vertical markets, international markets. You're losing all of the run rate business, the repeat business, the cross-sell, the upsell, the referrals. It's lunacy. Yeah. Absolute lunacy. That's why I, I want people to think about this, right? It's that customer experience. And yeah. if you're not, if you, if you and your top salespeople, quite frankly, your whole entire sales team, if they're not providing an outstanding customer experience, I promise you somebody else will. And what I'm really afraid of, Marcus, is this is, I say these things, I don't say it to disrespect and piss people off. I say it because I absolutely care about the sales profession. It's the only profession I've known. I love sales. I love every aspect about it. But this is what I'm freaking nervous about is many sales organizations are growing their competitor's next customer. You get what I'm throwing at you? Absolutely. And on that note, what they're also doing is they're creating the next competitor because people get really frustrated and they say, you know, I can do a better job of this. And that's how I ended up working for myself. I just got so hacked off working for people who didn't really get sales. And to be honest, at the time, neither did I. It took quite a bit more scar tissue, but I got really frustrated. And so I set up on my own and I had to go out and I learned the hard way And you've touched on scar tissue being your best teacher. Now, what I'm really struggling with, with many sales organizations, is that they have absolutely no understanding of what drives a salesperson to sell. They think that it's money. Money's a byproduct. The sale is a byproduct of doing a fantastic job of understanding the customer, identifying whether or not you can help making sure that the experience is outstanding, making sure that you're delivering at or above expectation and allowing them to feel like you value them. And the piece that you've talked about around customer experience, I'd like to take a little bit further with partner experience because your happy partners mean happy customers and happy partners come from making money, helping them to be successful, helping them to succeed helping them to sell. And the problem is that most people don't really understand what sales is. They're not authentic salespeople. What they are are order takers. What they are are people who think that you make a great product and they'll beat a path to your door. That's not selling. The problem is that selling really requires skill. It's a profession, but it's treated as if anybody can do it. My experience is that very few people sell Most people take orders. If they're really atrocious, they negotiate by giving stuff away to buy the business. They discount, which tells the buyer, I lied about my price. They spend their time on the wrong end of the problem. They try and sell intellectually, where in fact, we all know that all decisions, 100% of them are emotional. So in your book, you talk about authentic selling. I'd love you to go into a bit more detail about what drove you to focus on authenticity in sales. So please. Wow. I could go, wow. Yeah. Go. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not going to hold back. All right. I'm not going to hold back on this one, Marcus. No, so, I, I hope you don't. 
So I'm going to take you and everyone back about 20 something years ago. And that's when that was my aha moment. And that's, it was a chief financial officer, director of finance and, and so forth, however you want to classify it, who really set me on the course of where I'm at today. So this was, it was a tad bit over 20 years ago. I was having a first in meeting, right? It was the first time I'm meeting with this chief financial officer. It was one of the top targeted accounts on my list. I've been working for years to get into this company. And I finally, Marcus, got into this company. <laughs> and I was the top salesperson on my sales team. And life was great, right? I thought my shit didn't stink. I was making great money and so forth, right? Which is a lot of, you know, what goes through salespeople's heads and so forth. And here I am, I'm about 15 minutes into this initial conversation with a chief financial officer. And this person stops me dead in my tracks, interrupts me. And he goes, I have to stop you. I can't stomach listening to this any longer. And I go, what? And he goes, I just want to let you know, you're the third copier salesperson that I've spoken to in the last week. You all say the same thing. You walk the same way. You act the same way. You've asked me the same kind of questions delivered just in a little bit different manner. And I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Yep. Right? So how many people would actually probably shit in their pants and then politely just excuse themselves from the room. Yeah, they'd shrink into their shoulder. Right. And so I go, I had like a legal size notepad open. I closed the notepad. I had one butt cheek off the chair. And I said, you know what? Game over. There's no freaking way this thing is going any farther than what just happened. And something inside me said, you know what, Larry, you can turn this into a freaking learning moment. You just got to suck it up. And for those who know me, my inner circle, they know that I eat critique and vulnerability for breakfast every single day. (laughs) And so I sat back down and I said, you know what? You just, A, you just humbled me, right? I just, you just shoved a piece of humble pie down my throat. But why did you say that? I'm just curious. Can you help me? Help me understand why you just said that. And this person went on for 45 minutes. (laughs) I got schooled by a chief financial officer, not only how they wanted to be treated, what they were looking for and all that. And you know what it really boiled down to is they wanted me to be a human. They didn't want me to be a salesperson. They wanted me to show that I cared about them. They wanted me to ask questions that it was all about them, that I can help them make their life easier. See where I'm going with this? Absolutely. This goes goes back 20 something years ago. And so I took pages upon pages upon pages of notes, right? And I shook this person's hand and we parted ways. Well, there's a silver lining to the story because this person wound up becoming a client of mine. And a longstanding client, and still to this day, we're friends. We live in the same city, and we still laugh our ass off when we retell that story to each other over a beer. But then I took it one step farther, and I go, you know what? I'm going to go ask my current clients what they think of me and how they wanted to be treated and what they expect from a salesperson. And what I found out, it was quite similar. They wanted me to be a human being. They wanted me to show that I cared. They wanted me to dig in and help them solve business problems and challenges. I go, you know what? 
I think I'm onto something. I have to do the polar opposite of what I've been taught. And I have to do the polar opposite of what everybody else in sales does. And it was at that moment that my life changed. And I go, you know what? People are going to get who they're going to get. Because to me, relationships matter. Deep, meaningful, credible relationships matter. And I'm going to do the complete opposite of what people perceive salespeople to be. And that's why they don't trust them. That's why they think they're full of bullshit. There's rampant skepticism all over the place because it's all about me. And then one further thing, and and I write about it, and it's the last section in my book, is I urge people to write a sales manifesto. And you touched on something right before you asked me about authenticity. And I will tell you this, Marcus, that the reason why salespeople get beat up and they have no respect and they get beat up on price is everything that comes out of their mouth is about them and how great they are but it's transactional in nature. Every salesperson is having a transactional-based conversation around how I can save you money when that might not be the, the issue. I always say this, if you start off any conversation in a transactional manner, that whole relationship is nothing more than a transaction that will get replaced by another transactional conversation delivered in a better way. You have to start having these transformational conversations. And the only way you can do this is bring the best version of yourself to the business table and get on the right side of the table, which means sales professionals must get equal business stature with the people they're talking to. They must walk, talk, and act like the people that they're trying to help. And most of them don't because they put that barrier, they put that salesperson, right, name of whoever they're talking to by title in front yeah. of them. There's always that barrier. It's just freaking human to human. And I would say it's human to human and heart to heart. And what I share with people is this, is in a world where you're viewed as a commodity, unfortunately, yeah. you're right. and I'm sorry that I'm, you know, I'm saying this is most through the client's eyes, not your eyes, but through the client's eyes, you're nothing more than a commodity because they know they can go to five other places and get your same thing, maybe in a different color, at a different price, right? With a different twist on delivery, but they can get what they want. But the faster that a salesperson in today's market gets to somebody's heart, they're going to win. And that means that we got to bring the best version ourselves, which means you got to work inside yourself to demystify, right? The stigma that's associated with salespeople. That was golden. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what I teach. People want to be treated the way they want to be treated. The Bible got it wrong. Not do unto others as you would have done unto you. It's do unto others as they would have done unto them. You need to really focus on paying attention. One of my favorite beliefs is that attention is a currency. You pay attention. But salespeople don't. They use silence. They wait for the silence so that they can open their mouth and talk about themselves. No one cares. The best you can hope if you're behaving like a commodity salesperson is when the number 73 bus slams you into the road and turns you into strawberry jam. They look out of the window and they say, oh God, Larry's going to make me late. And if you sound like everyone else, you don't differentiate. You differentiate in the quality of your questions, the quality of your attention, the quality of your listening between the lines, the fact that you care, you really differentiate in demonstrating that you understand through your questioning that delivers insight, that helps them see their world through a different lens. And you have to be fully present. You have to be authentic. You have to be vulnerable. 
the story of that CFO kicking your ass, I get it. I mean, one of the things I teach my clients to do is the thank you, Mr. Prospect letter, where you take ownership and responsibility for all of the shitty things that you've done in sales and all the times that prospects have given you a damn good drubbing. And you don't send the letter, incidentally, but you do write it. And it's, thank you, Mr. Prospect, for every time you lied to me. You taught me that what I said or did caused you to distrust me. And you didn't feel comfortable opening up and telling me the truth. Thank you, Mr. Prospect, for every time you pushed me on a discount. You taught me that it was my fault that you thought the price was the issue, and so forth. And it's incredibly liberating, just that simple exercise of letting go and taking responsibility for your performance and recognizing that you are there to help. You're not there to make the sale. The sale happens if you've done your job correctly. Yeah. And I love that bit, the whole piece around selling from the heart. Yeah, no. It's so important. It's lost and it's sad. It's truly sad that, and I didn't know when, you know, selling from the heart, my book's been out a year. It was out a year last week. I didn't know where my book was going to go, what roads it was going to take me, if the message was going to align because my podcast was out, my Selling from the Heart podcast was out before the book was out. So I started to build a brand and a movement around it. But what's, what's really interesting is, to me, is heart matters in sales. And some people, Marcus, are going to say, well, you know, Larry, that's mushy, gushy shit, right? It's not. And it's not because your customers are tired of being shitted on. And this is what I want to say. And, and I raise the water level on this. I'm going to raise it just for a second, if that's okay. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Because now I'm on a, you got me on a roll. So sorry, dude. <laughs> that's why I invited you on. And I'm not afraid to say the things that need to be said because people, I think people need to hear this stuff is this is what really pisses me off is how we use the word customer versus client. And I want to share some because most people say they have clients, right? And I said, okay, if you have clients, then why do you treat them as customers? And they'll look at me and there'll be dead freaking silence. And I said, let's define what both of them are in a simple, not a collegiate level, but let's define what those are in simple terms. I go, customers buy things, right? Customers buy things, they buy products. Clients seek out advice. So if you're not providing advice and insight and educating your clients, then all you got are a bunch of customers. Whether you want to agree or not, I don't care. But that's how they are going to view it. And what's really interesting is in the gym that I go to, there's an attorney, right? He's been a longstanding attorney, guys in his late 60s. And we got on this whole conversation. I said, do you call your clients clients or do you call them customers? And he goes, they're clients. I said, obviously, right? Because they pay you handsomely for your advice. Now, let's think about that as salespeople. Do you have customers or do you have clients? And if you're shitting on them, right? If you're taking advantage of them, and I'm not saying this to everybody, so I'm not saying this is all, but I think you all get the point is if you crap on your customers, you take advantage of them. The only time that you see them is when you want to sell them something or create something out of nothing, right? Or you only see them because they're pissed off at you or they got a question on some internal matter that needs to be taken care of. You're in freaking trouble. And that's where I'm going with this and the whole movement around selling from the heart 
is you got to build those deep, meaningful relationships and turn your customers into clients or you will lose them. It may not happen right now, but I promise you this, it will inevitably happen if you continue to shit on your customers. Agreed. If you have a client, you owe them a duty of care. They should perceive you as the first person they pick up the phone to when they need help, when they need advice, when they need direction. And I believe that prospects seek out salespeople because they're looking for a leadership and a safe pair of hands who has the customer or the prospect's best interests at heart. And you earn that trust over time. And it's earned by your actions, not by the promises you make, but the ones that you keep, by your intent. And one of the basic rules of psychology is you get reflected back what you project out. And if you're one of those money-grabbing, pushy, self-interested, selfishly self-interested salespeople who goes out there and you see the customer as a mark, someone to be used and abused, someone who basically was put on the planet to fund your lifestyle, then is it any wonder they don't trust you? You made the point earlier that people who sell transaction meat will get treated that way. And they generally don't buy for the reasons that salespeople try and push. Well, I've had two clients come to me because they wanted IVF treatment. And there are two sets of twins out there as a result of the work that we did together. They did all the hard work. I gave some clarity. And now there are two sets of twins. Another client came to me because his business had been bankrupted by a large construction company who paid very little or didn't pay on a £250,000 order. And he had to kill his landscaping business. But the real reason was his horse went lame and he had an 80 grand vet's bill. I've had someone else who they ran out of wall space for their modern art collection. They wanted to buy the apartment next door so that they could carry on building their modern art collection. So people buy for their reasons, not yours. And you have to really take the time, be patient to understand them. Your CFO who's looking at whatever the proposition is, whether it's copiers, software, or a new building, What they're interested in is the stuff that keeps them awake at night. And it's your job to listen. One of the slightly glib jokes that I make is, why do you think the Catholic Church survived so long? It's confession. (laughs) Because when a genuinely good salesperson, a professional salesperson turns up, it's a catharsis for the prospect. Because they have an opportunity to be heard, to feel felt, to be understood. And most salespeople are going out there trying to peddle their stuff. And it doesn't matter whether they're an enterprise salesperson of software or someone selling, I don't know, pens and office stationery. What they really want is someone they can trust who's on their side. It's a scary place being in management, being a buyer. And it's our responsibility to look after them, to make them feel cared for. Why do we still find that so few people get that vote? You and I are beating that drum. Why is it that we seem to be the odd tree in the desert? Here's the best way that I can answer this. And this is my view on things. And and, I mean, you bring up some really good points. And I think we're too short-sighted in sales. and, And that's just, that comes from, we're always chasing the number, right? 
and it all goes, I mean, there's a lot of issues that, that we've covered on, on our time together, but I think the biggest issue is this is, and I go back to weak sales funnels, piss poor sales funnels cause yep. salespeople and managers to do things that they wouldn't normally do if they had a full funnel. And I want to peel this thing back even more. And this is what I tell salespeople. I said, if you want to have an ever flowing and flourishing sales funnel, you got to build an ever flowing and flourishing relationship funnel. And that means that you got to smash together the short-sighted vision that you have with mid to long-term vision. And the problem is, is we're chasing the dollar all the time, right? We're just spewing corporate crap and fodder all over the place. And yeah. we're walking around with commission breath and people can sense it. And they can <laughs> smell it, right? Yeah. And I write about it and I beat the shit out of people about it. I do it to drive home a point that if you fail to build relationships inside your client base, if you fail to open up a relationship in a human heartfelt manner, expect to get dumped on and expect to get whacked with the price hammer. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It just right. drives me batty. I agree. Essentially, it feels like you and I were separated at birth. I think we've gone through a very similar painful journey to discover this stuff and then realize the responsibility that we have to get that message out there. Because the issue is, if you had a funnel that was overfilled three, five, 12 times, you wouldn't have any problem planting your feet. You wouldn't have any problem challenging a prospect. You wouldn't have any problem asserting your right to equal business stature. And too many salespeople operate on the parent-child dynamic where you have a critical parent prospect and an adaptive child salesperson who sees that the money as the driver. It's not. People will pay premium. I routinely get 12 to 56 times my competitor's rate. Now, people are surprised by those sorts of uh, figures, but it's not because, well, actually, no, I'll lie. I am good at what I do, but it's not because people are charmed by me. It's because they genuinely know that I understand. And through my questioning, I help them know that I'm care, I care. And too often, I think salespeople are lazy. They don't spend the time trying to understand. They don't spend the time after a meeting debriefing. They don't try and learn. They don't invest in themselves. And they don't recognize those soft skills are more important. The technique you can teach to a chimp, but really understanding values. I'd like to finish the interview off on the subject of values. Why is it that we do not teach values right at the outset of someone's sales career and then embed them, reinforce them, make them part of the culture. And we allow those bad values to creep in. Yeah, wow. Here's the best way to answer that. This is how I'm going to share what I do, what I coach to and all that, especially when it comes around value, is I look at this as value alignment. And quite often, I take people through exercises like this, is you got to understand your own personal values. Yeah. Right. What do you value and what are your values? Because I believe there's two types of this, right? Trust is built based on values, but there's relational value and then there's product value. 
you, you know, if you're selling products, we got to align all yeah. this stuff. And what I mean by that is quite often companies don't even understand the value that they bring to the marketplace or their own internal values, plural. Yeah. And those are two different things. So they're just out prospecting for the here and now. Hopefully they'll find a needle in a haystack and they'll turn a deal over. But I said, listen, and I learned this. I self-taught myself this, Marcus. I'm not patting myself on the back and saying, you know, my shit doesn't stink and, you know, everybody else's does. I'm not saying that. But what I did is I took a long look and I peeled back my top 30 clients that I had when I was in my sales career. And I just took a sheet of paper out and I wrote down all 30, the customer's names and what vertical that that fit into. I found out that my top 30 customers fit into four buckets. They were not for profit. They were educational. They were private school oriented. There was the public school education. Then there was private. And then it was big corporations. And the reason being is that part of my values was, is I love giving back to the, my community. So those are stuff that I valued. So I understood their world so I could speak their language. My wife at the time was a school teacher. So I understood the educational system. My son was in a private school. So I understood that. And then I love driving business conversation with high levels of business acumen. And I love geeking out on executive speak. And I started to align all that together. So I think the missing thing that that we're not teaching our sales teams is, and it goes farther because we're not discussing it as executive management or even owners, is what does our company value, right? And what are our values? And let's align that with the salespeople. What do they value and what are their values? And you'll be surprised how many salespeople are on sales teams that quite frankly are just there because, right? Yeah. But if you can align company value, sales rep value, along with your client's values or your prospect's values, that's a freaking trifecta right there. And you're going to have yourself a longstanding client with high profit, and they're going to be there for you for a long time. This then comes to the other really important piece, which is having sales managers really understand what drives and motivates a salesperson and start that in the interview and selection process then build on it in the onboarding process. But the number of times I ask managers, so when you sat down with your salespeople and you asked each of them individually why they're in sales, who they're doing it for, and why they love to sell, virtually none of them can give me an answer. They invariably come back and say, well, I haven't had that conversation. One of the biggest myths in sales is that you can motivate salespeople. Motivation is an internal force. It's yep. a spark that comes from inside you. You can inspire, beat, cajole, brutalize. Exactly. But you cannot motivate. And in the same way, you can't motivate a buyer to buy. You have to uncover that. And that will only come because you care, because you are there to help. And I always tell my clients this one thing. I ask them this question, what's your intent before you go in to meet a prospect, before you pick up the phone? And too often it comes back to sell them something. The intent has to be, can I help? If I can, how? Am I the right person to help? Because if you can't answer positively to all three of those questions, you have no right to be there. And the problem then stems back to this scarcity mentality because they've got a weak, empty pipeline. 
they don't see them themselves conceptually as doing important and meaningful work. For me, selling is absolutely important. It is meaningful. The work that I do, when I pick up the phone to speak to a prospect, it's my conviction that it is, without question, the single most important telephone conversation they will ever have in their working life. And when I work with them, the impact I will have on them, their people, their businesses, their customers, even their families, that's the level of conviction that I go in with. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. As long as your intent is to make sure that you are there to help, to serve. And I know you talk about servant leadership. And one of my favorite moments in my entire working life was when I asked a very average question to Stephen Covey at an event. And he came back with something that stuck with me forever. And it was his response to a very average question was, the greatest among us serve the most. Yep. And I don't believe that people really get what service is. They confuse it with servitude. And service is about making sure that you take care of the people who you have a duty of care to look after, that you pay attention to them. You put them before yourself. Sales as an occupation has earned the reputation for being shoddy as shit. They've created the mess that they're in, but you just touched on something that's, that's near and dear to me, Marcus, is, is this. Because again, I think there's a massive difference between the word servant and service or serve and service. And to me, everyone talks about we got great customer service. Well, to me, that normally means customer complaints, doesn't it? Right. Well, no, I mean, it goes beyond (laughs) that because I always say, right, service, right? If you're providing good service to me, that's reactionary. You're reacting to something, you're on the defense. If you want to understand what it means to serve, then be proactive and go on the offense. And I always say the best way to learn how to serve is give of yourself. Go out into the community, learn how to give, learn how to help lend a helping hand out in your community at the grassroots level, do community service, learn how to give. I always, I'll kind of end it with this on the selling from the heart thing is if you want to understand how to sell from your heart, you got to learn how to give of your heart. And if you can't give of your heart, then you're going to have a hard time selling with your heart. That's a fantastic way to end the conversation. I do have two very quick questions for you. Who do you read? Who do you watch? Who do you recommend people pay attention to in the sales world or management? I don't know how you would classify him, but I eat, sleep, breathe. I'd walk on freaking fire for Simon Sinek. And he may not agree with everybody out there, but his message and how he delivers it massively resonates with me. He brings the human element into business and he doesn't hold back. He does not Mm -hmm. hold back at all. I agree. For me, there's a fantastic book called The Right Use of Power by Peter Block. That's a strong recommend. And I've mentioned it many times on my podcast as well before, but Just Listen by Mark Goulston. Stunning book. Everyone in sales should absolutely read that book. And it aligns so closely with what we've been talking about today. So final question. If you had a golden ticket and you could go back and advise your 23-year-old idiot self, what advice would you give him? I would say this because I had to learn this the hard way. 
<laughs> is we got to work on ourselves more now than ever before. If I was doing the things, I'm 54 years old, Marcus. If I did the things as a 23-year-old that I'm doing now, some of the things that I did as, you know, as a young whippersnapper in sales, I probably would have never have done. But we got to learn it the hard way. The best advice that I can give people is whether you're just starting off, is you got to understand you. You got to bring the best version of yourself. And we just don't work on ourselves. We do everything else but work on ourselves. So if I knew that when I was 23 years old, I think I'd be a lot farther along today than I am. But that's just me being hard on myself. Great advice. Well, I think we have to be hard on ourselves because I think too often we settle and we accept, we make excuses for ourselves. And I think the thing we cannot hide from is who we really are. The problem is that too many people subdue it. And I think every day you should be learning. Every day you should be seeking to improve. And I think you do your companies, yourself, your customers a disservice if you don't. If you stagnate, one of my favorite proverbs is, if you're ripe, you rot. If you're green, you grow. Too often people are ripe. I always tell people this, you get what you get with me. All you got to do is ask, right? I'm not going to hold anything back, right? Some people will say like, well, you shouldn't be that transparent. I said, well, piss off because that's just who I am. If you want to get to know me, you're going to get to know me because I ain't going to hold anything back. Absolutely. Larry, thank you so much. This has been really insightful and I love your message. If you haven't yet read Selling from the Heart by Larry Levine, it's a fantastic book. And if you're a manager, get it for all of your people. It's genuinely one of the best books on sales that's out there. It's not about technique. It's about the ethos of selling. And it gets to the heart of what makes salespeople great. Um, Larry, how do people get hold of you? Well, a bunch of different ways. They can find me on my Selling from the Heart podcast. We drop a podcast every Saturday. You can find it on you know whatever your favorite podcast app is. They're all out there. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find my blogs, anything about me at sellingfromtheheart.net. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. I'm everywhere. Excellent. I know the feeling. <laughs> Larry, thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Mark, because I've enjoyed this. You're a great guy. Likewise. Fantastic. I hope we can do this again sometime soon because I suspect we've only just scraped the surface. And I'll have to repay you because now you got to come on the Selling from the Heart podcast. That's my invite to you. I would love to. Right on. So that's Marcus Kauke signing off with Larry Levine. If you would like to come onto the podcast, if you've got a strong message around sales, sales management, sales recruitment, or channel sales, then please drop me a line at mkauke at sandler.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn and join the Making Channel Sales Work group on LinkedIn if you're interested in finding out more about how to sell effectively through or with partners. That's Marcus Kauke signing off. Happy selling.